Jesus. Thank you for the word, for the power that it, is un, it unleashes in our lives. <clears throat> Thank you that you've given it to us for the purpose of communicating to us, that you show us yourself and show us ourselves and bring things to our notice that we need to hear. We are needy people and we are very thankful to you for your mercy and your grace and your patience with us. I ask your blessing upon this time tonight and pray that you would speak to my heart and to our hearts and that we would be listening and we would receive your word and that you would use it to bring glory to your name. And I ask this in our Savior's name. Thanks to you. Amen. All right, we're in back in Second Peter, and we're starting, I guess, a new section, and that is verse uh, chapter three, verses ten through eighteen. And remember that Peter has been dealing with the subject of those who are doubting the second coming of Christ. They have they have questioned where is the promise of his coming. Um, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. And uh, Peter has been pointing these things out that uh, there are those who deny the Lord's the second coming and uh, that um, things are going to continue on without it. And Peter has been pressing the point home to us that the Lord is not slow concerning his promise, but that he is on time, um, that his schedule is not our schedule, that he is going to bring judgment upon the earth. And uh, he comes to the conclusion in verse 10, which is where our text starts. And last time we finished up with verse 10, but verse 10 is now going to be the beginning verse, kind of the introduction for our beginning of our study in this text tonight, where he says the day of the Lord will come like the thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. <clears throat> These are some pretty heavy, heavy facts. This day of the Lord reference is a day that is referred to and we did it the last time. I think we had about 15 or 20 verses that we read from. I'm not gonna read them all to you tonight. But just to point out that the day of the Lord is mentioned, for example, in Isaiah 13, and uh, some of the surrounding verses point out how devastating the judgment is that God is going to bring upon this earth in that day. And this is real. And we're, we are accustomed to television advertisements, and we're accustomed to people talking, whether it be people in politics or people in Hollywood or whatever. We're accustomed to reading things in the newspaper, things that we kind of take with a grain of salt. But when the Bible speaks about the coming of the day of the Lord and some of the words that I'm going to speak to, read to you, these things are actually going to happen. This is real stuff. This is this is uh, powerful stuff. Isaiah 13 verse 6 says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as a destruction. That is a means of devastation or ruin. It will come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified 
pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment. Their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fury and burning anger to make the land a desolation. Notice the phrase talked about several times in here about the anger of the Lord, because since, well, if we go back to the scripture, it has always been that men have kind of held their fist in God's face, and men have turned their back on him and walked their own way and gone their own way and done their own thing, and God is patient, but he is going to bring judgment upon the world and upon the world system and upon the works of the world. That's what he's talking about here. <clears throat> he will execute, that word has to do with annihilation. He will execute or annihilate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises. The moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And so he goes on talking about that. It's a, it's a pretty severe thing. Zephaniah says, near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord is in the warrior, in, in it, the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and of darkness, a day of, of tempest and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. I will bring distress on men so that it will walk so that it will walk like the, the, the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. All the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy, but he will make a complete end. Indeed, the terrifying one of all inhabitants of the earth. Big thing going on talking about ecology and how we need to protect the ecology because God is not finished with this. And uh, the ecology is going to be damaged a lot worse when he sets up this day, which is really coming. And there are other passages, I'm not going to read them, but the point is that while there are those that debate the Lord's coming and the establishment of his day of judgment, it is coming, and Peter announces that. And so that's my first point in this text that we're looking at tonight is the fact of the Lord's coming judgment. It's going to happen. It's going to come and fall on the planet. And <clears throat> there is a sense in which sometimes I need a kick to get me to listen to the Lord to obey. And I'm, I'm not trying to say to you that I just, I want to ignore him and walk away from him. I don't. I want to listen to him. I want to be sensitive to him. I was over with Pete and Dory and I had done and we were talking about the very thing. It's easy to have your heart set on one thing and want one thing, but you know that the Lord is directing you or you want the Lord's will, but you may not really want his will. You pray for it, but you may really want something else. And I know what that's like, and I'm sure you know what that's like. Sometimes the Lord has to bring something into our lives that is severe enough to make us listen. I was, I was in my uh, reading this morning uh, in uh, not Esther. I'm in, in, in Exodus. See if I can find it real quick here. Yeah, um, he's talking about uh, Moses uh, being working with the children of Israel on Mount Sinai, getting the law and the commandments. Um, and uh, <clears throat> it says uh, this. It says Moses said to the people, "Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of Him." may remind 
may remain with you so that you may not sin. In other words, to fear God, to fear him is a stimulus to get us not to sin. In other words, there's a strong tendency in my heart and your heart to want to do our own thing, to go our own way. And sometimes the Lord needs to bring something severe to get us to fear him. Now, I, I know and understand that it's God's love that should motivate us. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And, and we are the believers, and we are that's one of the names that, that we are called. We are called people who love God. But sometimes that uh, love affair that we have is sort of weak. And I'm not saying that we are, are losing our salvation, but there is a parable called the parable of the sword that describes four kinds of hearts, if you will. And the two of those hearts are hearts that receive the gospel but they proved to be ungenuine. One of them was, there was uh, all kinds of persecution and you know the parable, I'm not trying to get into it too deeply, but their heart that has received the, the gospel, but then the persecution and hardship and illness and other things come and they turn away and forsake the gospel, which means they were never really genuinely saved, saved anyway. The other, heart, the other heart, which is the one I associate with most clearly, is the one that received the gospel, but the pleasures of the world, the wealth and the treasures and the things that that uh, that really kind of pad your life and make it easy and make it comfortable comes in and it makes your your faith fruitless so that there's no fruit bearing in your life. And that too is an indication of it's not really a genuine faith. And so you have the only one that's that's fruitful is the third, the, the fourth uh, soil that receives the seed, the gospel, that bears fruit, 30, 50, 100 fold or whatever. And uh, that's what we want. We want to be a genuine believer. The Bible calls us to examine our faith. And that's every one of us here, that myself included, we should examine our faith and to be sure that we're really genuinely saved because it's possible that we can be responding to something that we did when we were eighth grade or eight years old or whatever, and yet be deceived. So it's, it's very important. So here is, here is the, the challenge. First of all, the fact of the coming judgment that is in this text is a fact that should stimulate and uh, cause us to fear and uh, listen to and follow the Lord. That's the second part of this verse here, or, or verse 11 and 12. I was in verse 10, verse 11 and 12. It says, here it is. It says, all of these things are to be destroyed. What is that? That's the day of the Lord he's talking about. All these things are to be destroyed. <clears throat> Let me read that to you. So that you know what I can find it here. Yeah, here it is. Uh, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens um, will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all of these things will be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Okay, so here is the stage that's being set. God's judgment is going to come, and it's definitely going to be destructive, and there's going to be a lot of suffering, and a lot of violence, and it's going to be worldwide, it's going to be cataclysmic, and so he said, since all of these things are going to be destroyed in this way, what does that say to you, and what does that say to me? How am I going to respond, or what do I need to respond? And so that's kind of where we're looking at now, and that is the fear of this consuming judgment should motivate us now in this present life, and that this honestly, this text speaks to me. If it didn't speak to you, uh, that's okay, but it speaks to me. It's, a, it's right where I am, and I'm sure it's right where most of us are. 
that we are we are examining our lives we should in our faith and we want to have things um right for us so he said since all these things will be destroyed or disintegrated in this way what sort of people he's not he doesn't say what sort of person he says what sort of people so he's holding us in a category as a christian community what kind of people ought we to be um and that word when he talks about ought we to be you can actually translate that what kind of people is it necessary for me to be what kind of people are you to be or is it necessary for you to be in holy conduct and godly and godliness holy conduct and godliness um the idea of holy there carries the idea of being religious or sacred the word conduct has to do with behavior and how we act so he's saying here what kind of people are we to be in holy or sacred or religious behavior now let me stop um there's a lot of talk about religion and religion can be if you would go down to the unca campus and take a class on religion they would have probably a shelf with a hundred different books of different kinds of religion only one of them according to the bible is the genuine article that's the one that you come through jesus christ that the bible talks about and that's the way all the rest are detours all the rest are just to be deceptive or whatever but you don't want to use we don't just use the word religion we use the religion and it can speak of a lot of things religion can be cold and dead and formal and uh, can, can uh, lack the life and the fire that we want in a relationship with the lord so i was thinking about that and this passage talks about that holy conduct and uh, talks about uh, godliness or piety and um I was thinking about that, and I remember Dory had a bag. She still has it down here. It's one of my favorite verses on it, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you desires of your heart. That verse, that's been, that's been one of my favorite verses for about a year now. It's been a powerful verse because the Lord, in, you know, to delight yourself in the Lord is, um, it takes passion. It's not a sale of religion. If you have a, if you delight in the Lord, what does delight mean? A delight, if you look at a dictionary, it means to have a find a high degree of satisfaction. Uh, it means to take great pleasure in. What he's saying is have a, a take great pleasure in the Lord, have a high degree of satisfaction in Him. That's not a that's not a cold and sterile and dead and formal religion or church service. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's there is a relationship there. That we have but we have to investigate that we have to pursue that we have to when the bible talks about loving the lord the word love there the word agape is the word that means that talks about volitional love love that is active it's not so much that we have a passion for the lord at first it's that we pursue him because that's the right thing to do just like just like a, a husband and a wife there are times I, my wife and I we had a very good relationship but there were times when she was mad at me or I would be mad at her we would be upset but I would still go into the kitchen and help her with the dishes or whatever she, 
she was much better keeping the house than I am, but there were times when I would do things like that and help her. And because that's that's what love does. Love pursues, even if you don't feel like it. And sometimes in the morning, I can remember we'd be getting up to go to work and she would be in rushing getting things together. And I would kind of have everything together. She'd say, do you mind ironing my blouse for me? And I'd say, no, I don't mind ironing your blouse for me. Even though that things I could be doing, I would take the time to do that because it would help her. And it shows her that I care. And when you talk about this idea of loving the Lord, it's a way of pursuing him. It's a way of seeking him. It's a way of making provision for that relationship and uh, to, to build in my heart a, a, an understanding of who God is. So I love him. I, if I wanted to delight in him, I read the Bible. I read it. I try to read it with understanding. I try to have my mind focused on him. So it's not uh, sterile. We're talking about the, just read the process of reading the Bible. It's not magic. And I know that it's not magic. But reading the Bible puts the word in my mind, in my heart, and God can use it. It opens my heart. He can speak to it, to me through it. And so here is this passage that's talking about if we fear the judgment, if we if we recognize that these are things that are coming, we want to, to seek within our life as holy conduct, that it is not just a sterile, cold religion, but that there is that passion. Do you see what I'm saying? That relationship with the Lord that's real. And uh, I'll tell you what, um, it puts a song on my mouth and my lips and my heart and really makes a difference. I've had, I've had people comment on that, I'm not bragging, but it's the Lord that does it. It's not just some kind of, I mean, yeah, some personalities are more joyful than the others, but the Lord is the one that really adds the joy and the purpose and the hope. If you spend your day, begin your day with him, it makes a big difference. And so here's this, the fear of the coming judgment uh, is to generate here this idea of being holy in our conduct and, and the godliness, having that piety. The word godliness, First uh, Timothy 4, 7, if I can get that real quick, <clears throat> uses that word, and I think it's a good, good phrase. Here is what it says. Have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. There's that word. For bodily discipline is only of a little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise to the present life and also to the life to come. Now here, godliness um, is held in the area of the spiritual development and spiritual growth and kind of head in contrast to the physical development. And so godliness has to do with the spiritual growth and spiritual development and spiritual um, strengthening of your character. And that's, and that's what we want. So we want to have godly behavior and growing spiritually in our character. And that's that's what this passage is, is kind of pushing us into, recognizing the coming of the day of the Lord and this uh, difficulty that's going to come up on the earth. How should we live? Well, we should be pursuing godly or holy conduct and godliness, uh, good, good uh, conduct. Verse 12 uh, says, looking for and hastening. That idea of looking is, is a way of saying, um, anticipating, looking for, providing for, looking for. By the way, the word looking appears in that text three times. Verse 12, we're talking about looking for. Uh, down in, in verse 13, but according to his promise, we are looking for, and then verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things. 
So there's this this verse is holding up to us the anticipation of good things that if we are really pleasing to the Lord, then when the tragedy and the difficulties come, it's something that we can look forward to rather than run away from because we are those that are, we are on the inside. We know the judge. He is our savior. He is our Lord. We don't have to fear him. That's one of the things that, that I was talking to Jacob about in the hospital. I don't know he, I don't know if he was able to listen to those things or hear. Lane said that when a person is in a coma, the last thing to go is to hear. <clears throat> and so that's why I was reading the scripture and praying to him. But we we're talking about that. And we're talking about Nicodemus and, and uh, how Nicodemus was one that was one of the Pharisees, but he felt kind of a responsibility there as one of the leaders of the Pharisees to oversee and to, to kind of feel out what Jesus was all about. So he came by night and questioned him. And, and that's why Jesus told him he needed to be born again and stuff like that. That uh, this is, uh, Nicodemus was anticipating trying to, to contact, communicate with, with the Lord and get this information from him. Uh, and that's that's what anticipation does. That's what looking does. You look forward to and you seek something out. And that's what this this uh, relationship with the Lord does for us. If we seek him, we make that provision. We are looking forward. We are anticipating. We're not running away. You see what I'm saying? We're not running away with, with uh, terror. If we belong to him, we're on the inside, not the outside. So he goes on to say, looking for that is expecting, waiting for, and hastening or accelerating the coming. The, the, the coming has to do with presence, the presence of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with, with intense heat. Now, let me just stop there again. I don't know if I have enough time to go through all this like we'd like to, but I want you to notice two passages in there, in that, in that section there in your Bible. First, at the very end of verse 10, it says um, the heavens, no, the elements. Well, it says, um, let me come back up just a little bit. It says the heavens, the, the heavens will pass away with a roar. That idea of pass away means they will go away. Roar means uh, it's used to, to speak of, of flames of fire like a blast furnace. The, uh, the heaven, the sky, which is the sky above, will pass away, and the elements pass away with the roar, and the elements, which are the basic building blocks of our world, the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works or its world system will be burned up completely. Since all these things are to be destroyed or disintegrated this way, what sort of people are we to be? We've looked at that in holy conduct and godliness, looking for, here it is, expecting and hastening or accelerating the coming of the day of God, because by means of which the heavens, we just saw that, the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Twice he talks about elements melt with intense heat. Some have said that sounds like a nuclear explosion, and it may sound like a nuclear explosion, but I don't believe it's a nuclear explosion. I believe it's God bringing judgment upon the earth, and it's going to be pretty severe, and there's going to be a lot of chaos and a lot of hurting and stuff, stuff like that. God is able to do that, and it's not a problem for him. So we just want to remember that our God is, is a consuming fire. Um, it, it warns, uh, it's a danger, it's scary to fall into the hands of the living God, but at the same time, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's loving, he's kind. He's given his son. We talked about this morning, uh, Jesus on the cross. He's died for us. He's our shepherd. David said in, the, in Psalm 
in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. Because of this, that, that's the case. Because the Lord is my shepherd. The bottom line is, I have everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. That's a good thing. He's good. He's a good God. So I'm encouraging you here this evening with these thoughts in mind to just make room in your day to spend time in God's word to get to know him, uh, to become intimate with him, and let him begin to develop a, a concern and a love in your heart for himself. I'm not talking about being going religious. I'm talking about reading the Bible, reading the gospel, getting to know the author of the scripture, getting to know uh, what he says and how it relates to you. Uh, I always, I'd like to suggest getting a pad with your Bible reading and writing down questions like, what does this verse tell me about God? Or what does this verse tell me about man? Or what does this verse tell about something that I need to avoid? Or what does this verse tell me what I can pursue? Or what does this verse tell me that I'd like to, to take advantage of or that I need to be warned of? You see what I'm saying? Just ask, just ask when you read the verse, whatever it says, if it says something to you, write it down. Notice the words. Notice the rapidity of their words that appear more frequently, like this word looking in here appears three times. Notice that this morning we were looking at the verse. No, John MacArthur looking at the verse that talked about all prayer and all supplication and so on and so forth. Verses that appear a lot in the text. Notice that because those are words of stress. And so here is this text uh, that we were warning about the judgment and the things are going to burn up with intense heat. And uh, we're going to face. Uh, this this judgment these disciplines in the christian life they're called disciplines uh, like prayer uh, bible reading bible study uh, going to church very important um, witnessing um, things of this nature they're called disciplines in the or christian disciplines because there requires a little bit of self-control to get into the habit of doing that but the habit is a good habit it's a good habit to develop. We can put all kinds of disciplines, all kinds of habits in our life. One of the big ones is television. We can, we can waste a lot of time in front of the stupid television and look at it. Or the programs on television, they're just as bad. Sometimes the news is just as bad. And uh, there's all kinds of things we can listen to. We can put it in our minds. Movies, the music, all kinds of entertainment, books we read, the magazine articles we read, what we do with our time, what we do with our eyes. You see what I mean? There's a lot of stuff we can put in our lives. But try to control that and let it let it be organized and filtered through the reading of the scriptures and let the scriptures direct your heart and your mind to the Lord to, to know him and to appreciate him and get to delight in him. And when you do that, this verse that she has on her, her thing there says, he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean that he's going to give you the car you want or the house you want or whatever your heart's desire, he's going to give it to you. What it means is he's going to reformulate the desires that give you the desires that you should have that matter that really care because that's what you want you want your heart to be changed you want your life to be christ honoring christ centered and uh, he will do that if you focus on him and seek do you understand what i'm saying and seek to please him to get to know him delight in him it takes time you'll do you can do that he'll you when you get up from your quiet time you'll be all excited and then something will happen you may get sidetracked a little bit but just be faithful because he uses that. It takes time, it takes time to grow. It takes time to do these things. You meet the Lord. 
and you, you, you embrace him, you believe the gospel, but then there's this daily walking with him and daily getting to know him. And so that's important. So that's the second point. First was the fact of the coming judgment. And then the second was the, the, the uh, uh, fear of it. And now the third, and I'm not going to have time to, to go into that real detail, but it's the focus, if you will, of the coming judgment. It says, but according to his promise, we are looking for, and that idea of looking um, uh, means a new form, um, and something that's not used before, uh, a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness, righteousness is that lifestyle, is that quality in which things are in perfect harmony with God's nature, God's character, God's will. And he's got a new a uh, new place, a new heavens, and a new earth, which conforms perfectly to His will, and uh, that's the place where righteousness dwells. And this is this is what we are focusing on. This is not we're not just living. Peter in this in his first and second epistle, he started out in First Peter, and the subject that was on his heart, his mind was suffering, and he addresses the the saints that are scattered throughout uh, Galatia, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia. Uh, those that are chosen. Peter was talking to those that are suffering, and he makes clear that throughout that text, he talks about those that are distressed by various trials, even those that are tested by fire. And he talks about, um, you've been called for this purpose, and Christ also suffered for you, leading you an example that you followed his steps. And he talks about, uh, even he, he said, even we should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not uh, fear their intimidation, but sanctify Christ is Lord in your heart. He talks about a lot about suffering in first in first Peter, but then he goes into the, the the subject of the second coming of Christ, and he talks about that. The second coming of Christ is a comfort to those who are going through suffering. When we suffer, <clears throat> we look forward to Christ coming and taking us home, and because here we might be we, in that day, the Romans become and take you off and crucify you or burn you to throw you to the wolves or the wild animals or whatever thing. It was very scary in a way, the persecution. So the saints uh, in the midst of this suffering looked forward to the deliverance that was promised in the scriptures, even though the Lord's coming did not occur then. Peter wrote about it and there was anticipation. And so that's a, that's the, kind of the, the thing that we're talking about here with this place where righteousness dwells, the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. It's a place where there is perfect conformity to God's will. It's a good place. And it's really, he's really going to establish it and he's really going to have a place there for us. And this coming judgment that uh, that um, we're facing, that uh, the world is going to be facing, that coming judgment is something that makes us not want to be part of it, but rather to fear the Lord and to honor him and to, to participate with him. And so, um, and I, I we talked about holy, <clears throat> what kind of people ought we to be in holy conduct? And that word holy, um, it's used most frequently over 90 times for the Holy Spirit. It talked about God's name as being holy, God's angels being holy. Uh, the God is the Holy One, He's Holy Father, Holy Servant Jesus. It's a name that just speaks of one who is other than, he's way, he's perfectly in perfect conformity to God's will. So he says, according to his promise, we're looking for new heavens and new earth in which uh, dwells righteousness. 
And that, that place that dwells right to this is in conformity to his will and conformity to his purpose. And what kind of conduct we to have, holy conduct and godliness. That, that is the conduct that we're going to pursue that. I don't know if I've confused you with that or not, but it's really, really important that we seek to honor him and seek to live for him. And that the, the reality of God's judgment looms over us. And that's coming. And we want to be we want to be seeking him and living for him. That makes, I think, good sense. And, to, and be, be sure that you're spending time in God's word and seeking to honor him. All right, let's, let me close you in prayer and then we'll Dear Father, do thank you for uh, this, this word this morning, this evening. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. I do thank you that um, you're very tolerant. And from the beginning of, of the revelation that we have, as you dealt with men, People have been very obstinate, very, um, well, you said before the flood that the, that the sinfulness of man was great in the earth and that you were grieving that you had made man. <clears throat> and we know that you brought judgment upon the world at that time through the flood and you promised the next time it was not going to be through the flood, but it's going to be through fire. And we're reading about some of that judgment now. We know it's coming. But I pray, Father, for the people here in this room, and I pray for our friends and family and those that we love, that uh, you're a God of mercy and you're a God of grace, and you're so good. You're so good to us, and I thank you for that. I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your patience with us. Help us to, to get to know you, to delight ourselves in you, to pursue you, to seek to know you. Help us to put that as a priority I know it's late for New Year's resolution. We don't have to do New Year's resolution to be a life resolution, but it's a good thing to pursue. Help us to do that. Help me to do that and uh, to seek to please you and to honor you. And I ask you a blessing upon us this week and <clears throat> bring us back next week. Also bring us here for Wednesday night for prayer meeting because that's an important thing. We need to do that time in prayer. John was talking about it this morning. We need to do that. Be in, be in an attitude of prayer. So thank you for this time. Thank you for your word and ask your blessing upon us this week. And we pray in Jesus' name. Thanksgiving. Amen.